Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. We'll be discussing the most important event in history, Jesus' resurrection and the empty tomb. So if you'll open your Bibles up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't I open us up in prayer? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this group. It is just such a joy and privilege for us to be able to gather together and study your word. And I can't tell you what an encouragement it is for me to have this group that I can come and see each week. They're such an encouragement to me, and I hope that we're all in an encouragement to each other. Thank you for giving us each other to gather together in your name. And as we go through the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke today, and we're studying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it just calls to my mind, we're all so grateful for the love that you've extended to us and for providing us a pathway to get back right with you. We can't do it on our own. We couldn't have done it on our own. We just thank you for the incredible gift of your son to pay the debt for our sins and to give us the promise of eternal life with you. And we just thank you so much for your blessings and everything you continue to pour out on us. And I ask you this morning, speak through me, speak through anyone who speaks up during our discussions Ask the Holy Spirit to guide our discussions. We don't want to lead anyone astray. And we ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24. And let me set this up for us this morning. Where we left off, Jesus has been crucified. We saw in Luke chapter 23, verse 53, It says Joseph of Arimathea took down the body, Jesus' body, wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb, cut into rock where no one had been. So he's died, he's been buried, put in the tomb, and that's where we pick up today. We'll be reading about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This particular chapter, there's a lot of other details, there's a lot of other things that are going on simultaneously. And so actually what I want to do today, before we get into the text of chapter 24 of Luke, I want to give you a little bit of the other things that are going on simultaneously, some of the other things that aren't in Luke's gospel. The first thing I want to point out is the Pharisees were very afraid that the disciples were going to steal Jesus' body. So they wanted to make sure the tomb was secure, it was guarded, And unlike what some people say who aren't Christians that, oh, well, you know, somebody stole the body. Jesus never really rose. It was probably the apostles who did it. Actually, the apostles, they have fled and run. I mean, they are gone. Let me show you. And we talked about this last time. I'll show you. Well, I'll read it to you. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 50, it says, and they, being all the apostles, they all left him and fled. Now, we know that John actually came back and was present at the crucifixion. We talked about that several lessons ago. But they didn't have a plan to steal the body. They all ran, and they were in hiding in Jerusalem. Now, let me show you what the Pharisees were up to. If you'll go with me, keep your finger here in Luke. We're going to come back here, but I want to set this up. We're going to look at a little bit in Matthew and a little bit in the Gospel of John. So let's go over to Matthew 27, the first Gospel. This will tell you what they were up to. I'm going to start in verse 62. It says, Now on the next day, 
which is the one after the preparation, so this is on Saturday, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, talking about Jesus, that deceiver, that's what they're calling him, said, After three days I am to rise again. So they knew that Jesus had said he was going to rise in three days. They say, therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, to the religious leaders, you have a guard, go make it as secure as you know how. So there were Roman guards. They probably even had some of the religious leaders, their own guards. So they go. He tells them, you've got guards. You go make it as secure as you know how. Verse 66, and they went and made the grave secure along with the guard. They set a seal on the stone. Okay, so that's going on actually on the Sabbath. Of course, the religious leaders, they're not supposed to be doing any work, but they have no problems, of course, doing this. So that's going on in terms of securing the tomb. So the Jewish leaders, let me show you what also happens because we're going to see after Jesus arises and leaves the tomb, I'm going to show you that here in just a second, the Jewish leaders actually have the guards lie about the stolen body. I'm going to show that to you too because it's not in Luke's gospel. And the other interesting thing we'll see is Jesus did arise and the religious leaders don't even go try to search for the body from the disciples. They just make up this false story. So let me show you where that is. Let's go to Matthew. Let's just drop down to Matthew 28. I'm in verse 1. Now late on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, so it's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Now let me make this clear. This angel didn't come and roll away the stone to let Jesus out. Jesus is already gone. That angel came and rolled the stone away so that these witnesses that are coming can see that Jesus isn't in the tomb. All right? Let's continue on. This angel's appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. We see in verse 3. And the guards shook for fear of him because of this angel and became like dead men. So they were either unconscious due to fear or they fainted. They're completely traumatized by what's going on. Verse 5. And the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. And by the way, let me point this out, because some people don't realize this. The entire Trinity was involved in the resurrection of Jesus. And you go, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, we know Jesus was involved. Let me just read that. Obviously, Jesus was involved. But he did it willingly and voluntarily. I'm going to read you John 10, verse 18. Actually, I'll begin in 17. It says, For this reason the Father loves me, this is Jesus talking, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, 
and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. So that's Jesus. He did it willingly. He's in control. He's involved in this. God the Father is also very involved in this. I'll take you over to Galatians 1. Let me just get over there real quick. And Galatians 1.1 says, this is the beginning of the letter of Paul to the Galatians, and Paul says, he's writing, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul's saying, God the Father was involved in it. I can give you some other verses, but I'll just leave it at that for our discussion today. The Holy Spirit was also involved. I'll take you over to Romans 8:11. Get over there real quick. Romans 8:11, and it says, "But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you." This is talking about the Holy Spirit, and it says, "The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and dwells in us as believers." So all the Trinity was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. So I'm going back over to Matthew 28, where I left off. Verse 8, And the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. Now skip down to verse 11 of Matthew 28. Now while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city. Remember, first they were scared to death. Now they're going into the city. And remember, they probably risk their own death, the fact that who they were trying to guard is gone. The body is gone. So they go into the city, not all of them. It just says some of them. I'm guessing probably the ones who didn't go fled, scared for their life, came to the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. Notice they didn't go to Pilate because Pilate would be furious that they lost Jesus. So they go to the religious leaders. Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said to them, you are to say, here's what we want you to say. We're paying you off. We're paying you money. And here's what we want you to say. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. What a ridiculous story. Okay. If they're asleep, how do they know the disciples came and stole the body? It, like that's the best story they got. Yeah, the disciples came and stole him away while we were asleep. All right, uh, go with that. And they continue on. And if this should come to the governor's ears, meaning Pilate, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Take this money. That's the story. Go with it. Verse 15, and they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. And this day means this is written about 30 years later, okay? So everyone knows this is what went down, okay? Now I'm going to take you over to fill in some more of the gaps, and then we'll get to our text for today. I'm going to take you over to John 20. There's a little more detail on some other things that aren't in Luke's gospel, and I just want you to kind of get the whole picture of what's going on. So now I'm over in John 20, and you might want to go over there because I'm going to read quite a few verses from John 20. And I'll begin in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, 
Remember when we studied the Gospel of John, that's how John always refers to himself. So she comes to Peter and to John, the two apostles, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So clearly, they had no plan to go steal the body. In fact, they don't even believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. None of them believe that. But here, Mary Magdalene comes and says, I went to the tomb. There's nobody there. It's gone. Somebody's taken the body. So what does Peter do? Verse 3, he goes forth and the other disciple, meaning John, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. So they're like running. They're sprinting to the tomb. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. I love this. This is John's gospel. He just wants the world to know I got there first. I beat Peter. He came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So he just kind of does a quick survey before Peter gets there, kind of checking things out. Verse 6, Simon Peter therefore also came. So now Peter arrives following him, and entered the tomb. Peter's the bold guy. He goes in. He's going in looking with intent. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So very intentional how these wrappings were laid out. Very intentional. It wasn't like somebody came in and stole the body and just tore off the linens or what have Somebody took some time to lay these things out. Jesus. Verse 8. Then entered in, therefore, the other disciple also, that's John, who had first come to the tomb. Remember, I, I was there first, he's saying. And he saw and believed. So John came to faith very quickly. He remembered Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead on the third day. He sees what's going on. John believes. Peter's still trying to sort it out. But they don't fully understand. We see in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. John believed, but he still doesn't fully understand. Still not completely trying to take all this in. The context of the word Scripture here is them having read the entirety of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, that's what he's referring to. And I can give you some of those in a little while. We've looked at them, specifically Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 would be two of the big ones. But the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Verse 10, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. So they don't know what's going on. But Mary, that's Mary Magdalene, was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And as we know, as we've been doing these studies, when angels appear, they're usually there to announce something about God's plan. Verse 13, And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he said these things to me. So that's some more detail of what we're going to read today in the text. So I'm just trying to set all this up. So now let's go to what we're going to read today, the text in Luke 24. So what we've seen is Mary Magdalene and these other women got there first. It was still dark. Mary Magdalene saw the stone removed. She assumed Jesus' body had been stolen. She leaves. She goes and tells Peter and John. They run to the tomb to investigate. They return. Then Mary Magdalene, she sees these two angels sitting inside the tomb at the head and the feet. And then, as we saw, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and sends her back to go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. Mary Magdalene was the first to see the risen Lord. Let me show you. We read that, but further confirmation for that is in Mark 16. Let me just read that to you real quick. Mark 16, 9, it says, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So I'm just trying to piece all this together because it can get a little confusing. There's lots of different events all going on simultaneously. So Jesus appeared first to a woman. And what's interesting is women held an inferior position in the Jewish culture. In fact, they couldn't even be witnesses at trials. It's just really interesting that the ones who Jesus comes to first, they were the ones at the cross. Remember, the other disciples had all fled, I read to you, other than John. They were there at the cross. They were there at his burial. They knew the right tomb to return to. We talked about that last time. There's some unbelievers who speculate, well, the women went to the wrong tomb. That's why they didn't find the body. But we know that's not right. So we've set all this up. Let's begin with the text. Chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, these are the women, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Again, this is the most significant event in history. There's no Christianity without a resurrection we got to have the resurrection. Let me just give you a verse that you can reflect on. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 17. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Without a risen Christ, we're sunk. Because we've got nobody that paid our debt for our sins, so we deserve death. We deserve the cross Christianity doesn't exist without a risen Jesus. So I'm going back over to Luke, verse 4. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. These are the angels that I read to you just a little while ago in John. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He's alive. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Remember, they didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. 
That's why they brought these spices. They were going to further anoint his dead body. They were coming looking for dead Jesus. Verse 8, And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest, meaning other disciples that were with the apostles. Now, I had mentioned to you, I read to you a little while ago, on the way back, Jesus appeared to the women. Actually, I didn't read that, but it's in Matthew 28, 6 through 10. Verse 10, these are the women that are reporting these things to the disciples. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, who's one of the apostles, not Jesus's brother, and this is not the mother Mary. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. These words that these women are saying to the apostles, the apostles are saying, that's ridiculous. We see in verse 11, and they would not believe them. So even though all the women saw the same thing, and they're all reporting this to the apostles, the apostles are going, no, I'm not believing it. Verse 12, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb, Stooping, looking in, we know John was with him because we read Gospel of John. And he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. But Peter's still not really sure what to think about it, as I had mentioned when we read John's account. Verse 13, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. There's not a lot known about Emmaus. Okay, but these are two followers of Jesus, not apostles. We're going to see in just a minute. One of them is named Cleopas. Verse 14, and they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. So their hopes and their dreams about Jesus had been washed. They thought they had watched Jesus. They thought he was the promised Messiah. They thought he had come and he was going to conquer the Romans and bring the Jewish nation back to its rightful place rather than being ruled over by the Romans. But what had happened is when the Jewish authorities handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, they were devastated. Who they thought was going to be their conquering Messiah, put on the cross, died, buried. They're devastated. Verse 15, and so they're walking, they're on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about all that had happened. Verse 15, and it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So here's Jesus, the risen Jesus, walking with them. They don't recognize him as Jesus. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. So Jesus asking this question just stops them dead in their tracks with a question. It's like, where in the world have you been? That'd be like somebody right after 9-11, you start talking about how planes crashed into two buildings. And somebody goes, what? Seriously? There were terrorists that flew planes into buildings? In the no, we've never been. At Seriously? Tell me about it. Or somebody saying, can you believe we actually put people on the moon? And somebody goes, we really put somebody on the moon? Seriously, you'd be looking at them like, where have you been? So that's how these guys are looking. At it's like, you don't know about this Messiah that got crucified? What in the world? They were looking sad. 
Verse 18, and one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Like, where in the world have you been? Now, not much is known about this guy, Cleopas, in any event. We'll continue on. Verse 19, and Jesus said to them, what things? You know, tell me about it. What, what are you talking about? What things? What have been going on? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Notice, read this closely. It says, who was a prophet. He's dead. He was a great prophet, but in their mind, he's dead. They thought he was a great prophet. He was speaking for God. Actually, Jesus was more than a prophet. But he did all these miracles. He spoke with authority. They may have even been aware at his baptism that we read in, when we were studying Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when John baptized him, as well as maybe even heard about after the transfiguration. We certainly read about it, Matthew 17, 5, that that's when God the Father spoke and said, this is my son, I am well pleased with him. But they had seen the miracles and they had heard Jesus speak. They had viewed him as the promised Messiah. Verse 20, and did you not hear how the priest came and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him? So it was the religious leaders who turned the crowd against Jesus. And we discussed that at length a few lessons ago and then intimidated the Romans to actually put him to death, to crucify him. Verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Again, they were looking for the conquering king. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And they're basically saying, and there's no evidence. He's dead. He's in the tomb. He's dead. We've lost all hope with him being the Messiah. We hadn't heard from him in three days. This is an interesting fact, though, because remember I talked about a few lessons ago, how do you count the three days and was it really three days and what have you? Here we have yet a witness also saying that they believed it has been three days. He's been dead three days by the way they count. Verse 22, but also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb in the early morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But they rejected their testimony, okay? These women said that, but they didn't believe it. Verse 24, And some of those were with us, and they're now referring to Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said. But him they did not see. They didn't see Jesus. So because the men had not seen the risen Jesus, they didn't believe the women's story. And Jesus is listening to all this. Remember, he's walking along with them. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So they failed to believe what had been written in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that Jesus now doesn't take the opportunity to say, look, I'm Jesus. Look at the holes in my hand. Look at the holes in my feet. No, he's going to talk to them about Scripture, about what the prophets had talked about in the Old Testament. Verse 26, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So again, they were looking for the conquering king. 
in the Old Testament was clear that where there's sin, there's death. And, you know, they had this whole system of animal sacrifices to provide for temporary forgiveness of sin. The Old Testament even talked about a suffering Messiah, that there would need to be a suffering Messiah to pay the penalty for our sins. But they weren't looking for a suffering Messiah. They were looking for the conquering king. They just weren't in a place to realize they could not get right with God on their own, and that they needed to have the Messiah come and pay the ultimate sacrifice, give his body and blood to pay the price for our sins. So Jesus is going to now explain some of the scriptures. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. I'll just mention a few of them. Genesis 22:13. you remember that's where God provided a substitute for Isaac. The sacrifice there on the altar where Abraham was going to kill his only son, and there was the substitute which represented Christ. We looked at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 extensively over the last couple of lessons, so I won't take you there. But if you want to see a lot of prophecy about the Messiah, go look at those two. And then, of course, several weeks ago, we talked about the 70-week prophecy of Daniel 9, where it predicted the day that Jesus would actually come in in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then you can go also look at Psalm 16, 8 through 10, that talks about Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus is talking to them about the Scripture, in talking about how the Scripture said that there would be a suffering Messiah that would rise. And he had even told them that he would rise on the third day. Verse 28, And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. So he's just walking along. They're about to turn off where they're going to go. And he's acting like he's just a passerby, and he's going to keep going. It's hard to just pass this up right now. This is so colossal. These guys had Jesus walking with them. Not only did they not believe the Old Testament scripture, but they didn't believe what was happening today right before them. It was all a bunch of people. I can only think of the word as almost chaotic. People running here and there and talking and running back and some crying. And and then these guys are walking along and Jesus actually explains it all to them. Yes. And this is, I presume, the road to Emmaus that people take. What we all want is to have Jesus explain it to us. Mm. And these guys got it. I find this also so relatable because I can just imagine walking down the street with Lane and we're like having this conversation. Man, I can't believe all that stuff that just happened. And I, you know, what do we do? And then along comes Jesus and I'm too much of an idiot to even recognize what's going on. And uh, you know, too self-absorbed and everything else. And just like the frailty of man, of men, you got the Messiah sitting there. Right? Let, let me just kind of explain how the scripture works to you guys. And, well, this is interesting. This guy really knows his stuff. You still have no idea what's going on. Just how foolish we are that we just clearly can't see what is happening around us on a regular basis. And we see it all the time. I see it when I'm sharing the gospel with people. And you lay things out. You try to lay them out so plainly. And they just can't even see it. They just cannot see it, and it's so sad. And that's why, as I read this, particularly these accounts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Scripture's clear. We can't even make sense of this without the Holy Spirit. 
And thank you, God, for giving me the ability, because I could be just like these folks. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards me and giving me the ability to gather together with this group and study the word and actually try to understand what you've revealed to us in opening our heart and mind to be able to understand it. Kind of the theme the last several weeks that I've been trying to at least have as the theme is about gratitude, our gratitude towards what Jesus has done for us. Because we would be just like this. You know, we are just like this. But for the Holy Spirit opening our heart and mind to be able to understand this, because it's a crazy plan. Even sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel with people and I'm going through it, you can just tell that they're looking at me like, what planet did you come from? You believe all that? And if you listen to the story, the Bible says it's foolishness to unbelievers. It's a crazy plan, but it's God's plan. And thank goodness we can comprehend it, understand it, believe it, have faith in it, trust it. Sometimes we take it, well, I shouldn't say, I don't know how you all are. I think sometimes I take it sort of for granted. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm thankful and I move on instead of like, wow, what Jesus did for me, you think about it, we ought to be in awe, just like so thankful, just continually give gratitude. Let me go a couple of more verses and then we'll talk more. We're not going to finish today. We are in verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. I already read that. Verse 29, and they urged him saying, stay with us, for it is getting towards evening and the day is nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. They wanted more teaching. They wanted more understanding of God's revelations in the Old Testament. They still don't recognize Jesus. They still don't believe he's risen. And we'll come back next week and finish this gospel out. I'll also point out next time, I'll give you some references to how many different people saw Jesus. I'll show you those verses. We don't have time to do that today. Hundreds, one over 500 people saw him. So lots of people saw the risen Jesus. And they were around when Luke did his investigation. He talked to people about this in writing the gospel. Of course, these are the inspired words of God. But these people were around and it really happened. It's so amazing that God has given us the words of this Bible and the scripture that we can understand. And it's easy for us now because we're on this side of the cross to look back and see how all these events happen. And we can look at how these things are going on simultaneously, the guards and what's going on there and the whole thing with the religious leaders paying them off to keep their mouths shut come up with this stupid story of we saw the disciples steal the body while we were asleep. That's ridiculous. We ought to just be so thankful for what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the risen Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and he's been sent to us to restore our relationship with God. He paid the debt for our sins. All we have to do is acknowledge that we're sinners, and anyone listening to this today all you have to do is just acknowledge that you are a sinner. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, just acknowledge that you're a sinner and acknowledge that God sent Jesus who came down and lived a perfect life for 30 years and was crucified, paid the debt for our sins, buried, rose on the third day, 
And we believe that. You believe that. You believe that that actually happened. And that is the way that we can get back right with God. And then he was seen by all these people. And he went back to sit at the right hand of the Father to show that his death, burial, and resurrection, that sacrifice was acceptable as payment for our sins. It was acceptable to God the Father. We've just got to be so thankful. All you have to do is say, I believe all of that. Now please come send the Holy Spirit to come live in me and turn me into the person that you want me to be. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a perfect life after that. You will actually have trials and tribulation. That's how God works through our life to knock off those rough edges and make us more Christ-like. We will have tribulation when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You will have persecution. But we are to just give thanks and praise to God, and we should have tremendous peace in our life knowing where we're going. We may be going through some tough times, tough trials from time to time, but that's nothing compared to what eternity separated from God is going to look like for the people who are not believers. Again, I've had people say, why would a loving God send people to hell? And I totally agree with you. God's a loving God, and he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. That's why he's provided a pathway through Jesus Christ for us to be reconciled and get right with God. And we should be full of joy for what Jesus has done for us. And so I'll just ask this group and anyone listening, what are we going to do different beginning today at the end of this lesson? because of the love that we know Jesus has for us and for what Jesus has done for us. How are we going to live our lives differently to show our gratitude, not to earn our salvation, but just to show gratitude for what Jesus has done for us? So why don't I stop there? We'll finish out the Gospel of Luke next time. There's a little more to it and discuss some of his last commands to us before departing to go sit at the right hand of God as we await for his second coming, and more specifically, await for the rapture for us as believers. What else? This is kind of an elementary question, but how many different accounts are there in the New Testament? Is it in each of the Gospels? It is in each of the Gospels. There are four. Are there any other accounts? Well, there's references to it in some of the letters. There's references to what was done and what, what happened. I just remember years ago, I thought there was one account of this until I really started studying this Bible. And through this study, I get to weave together in my own head these various accounts that just bring it to life. It just is exciting to put yourself in these people's place and experiencing the most amazing events in history. What makes it really unique is that there's four gospel writers their stories are different enough that there could be no case for collusion. Yeah. There's no way you'd read it and go, well, Luke had to have gotten that from John or Mark. Had, I mean, there's stuff that's similar, but there's stuff that's clearly like, why is there two men? There's two blind guys heading to Jericho, and I'm going to go with one guy. All right, That way we keep it different. No, why would you do that? You would want to make it as similar as possible to keep your story straight. So what you know is that there's four guys who wrote four separate accounts, not colluding with one another, and they were able to communicate the details. You know, Luke, and he admits that he was a researcher. Matthew, a first-hand account. Mark writes what Peter wrote down. And John's John a first-hand Paul's. account. So I, I think it's just really kind of a mind-blowing experience for what happened. And then Paul writes about it. He wasn't there. Remember, he was going after Christians. But Jesus told him about it. Jesus appeared to Paul also. 
And so Paul writes in various of his letters portions about it. You know, I never heard that the Gospel of Mark is maybe what Mark writing what Peter wrote down. Where do we get that from, Chris? Yeah, Eusebius, he's a church historian, and he wrote around 300 A.D.-ish. And so he took, passed out or, traditionally that Peter hung out with Mark. So that's why you, whenever you read Mark, it's, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, it's very action-oriented, which you can just think of Peter very much like condensing the story to be all about action, because that's kind of how Peter was. And it was just kind of like his regurgitated sermons that he would go and preach in his tone. Mark is John Mark, who was a young protege. You can kind of think of, we'll be reading about Timothy. He was with Peter a lot. Thank you, that's great. You remember he was with Paul for a while, and then there was kind of a a little falling out and a rift. He was young. We don't know all the details, but in any event, he decided to go back home uh, on one of the missionary journeys, and that really irritated Paul. Then Paul was getting ready to go on another one, and he didn't want to take John Mark with him because he had deserted him the last time. We talked about this when we were reading Acts. But then later on, and we'll read about it when we get there, later on they reconcile. And in fact, before Paul dies, he speaks very highly of Mark. And what's amazing is they have a falling out, and eventually he comes to write one of the Gospels. So pretty amazing how that all works out. And when we get to the Gospel of Mark, which is the only gospel we haven't read yet in this group, we'll get to it and we'll spend a little more time talking about that. It is worth noting, too, that you talk about the different accounts about Jesus' life that no other historical figure doesn't even come close. There are no accounts legitimate, historically speaking, about the prophet of Muhammad. And so no other historical figure of the time, Alexander the Great, mm-hmm. Buddha, mm-hmm. Muhammad, nobody enjoys as much people that were eyewitnesses or living contemporaries of their time writing about these figures. Christianity relies on a historical fact of the resurrection, and we have more evidence in writing in history about the person of Jesus of Nazareth mm-hmm. than any other historical figure. It's not even close. And so that's something that can provide a great deal of comfort oh, yeah. <laughs> too when you're thinking about it. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.